Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Unahit po te po whirimarama. Tomakia te ao te ao whatitangata. Tātai ki ronga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahurau. Hami e, hui e, tāia ki e. Kia ora tātou, and welcome to the Kōhunga Kutai online field trip in the first web conference. It's great to have you all with us this morning. Ko Shelly Takawingawa, you will learn Skyarahi on this field trip. And we're also joined by our experts from the Kohunga Kutai project. We've got Tiao and Brad, and I'll give you a chance to introduce yourselves. Tiao, we'll start with you. Morena Kato, Kotiao Rosio Toku Engawa, no Nati Manuhiri Aho. So I'm a descendant of Nati Manuhiri. Um, and I'm honoured to be here today. I'm part of the Kohunga Kutai project and I'm through the Raranga or the weaving. So, Namahia Kia Kaito Kato. Kia ora. Thanks, Tia. And Brad. Right. Uh, morning, everybody. I'm Brad and I'm a scientist at the University of Auckland. Um, I'm a marine biologist and I do a lot of work on uh, muscles and muscle biology and I'm involved in the Kohunga Kutai project. Kia ora. And our schools, put your hand up if you've seen these guys in the videos, you've watched them. Certainly you've had a, a good look at those. Oh, good to see some hands up. Fantastic. So hopefully you've learned heaps already. And I can tell actually from the questions from our speaking school that you've already done quite a bit of work on this, quite a lot of mahi. So well done. So welcome to everyone that's joining us, our listening schools, and of course, our speaking school, Ellington School. Um, is there someone there that could introduce your class and tell us a little bit about what you've been working on, what you're studying, why you wanted to join us today? That would be fantastic. I've got closer to say, Kia ora, my name is Charlotte. If you look so here. Kia ora, my name is Charlotte and we would like to be joining you from Ellington School. We would like to come to come learn some more facts from you guys. Kia ora, thank you. So you guys are in Ashburton, is that correct? Yep, great to have you joining us today and really looking forward to hearing the answers to your really thoughtful questions. Um, so we'll get started with those. We'll start with question number one, please. What is it, Tom? Yeah. Uh, question number three. Um, sorry, who was the first person? Tom. Um, on my list, I've got Tom here. Kia ora, my name is Tom. And how long does it take for a flex push to grow big enough to be cut? Uh, good question. Thanks, Tom. Ciao. You're muted, yeah. Kira Tom, it takes about a year. So you can take a small plant, plant it into the whenua, and then in about a year's time, it'll be big enough to start harvesting. So one year. So that's that's pretty quick, isn't it? I mean, not many plants are um, ready to be harvested after only a year. So is there any is there anything that we need to think about if we're growing harakiki flax? to um, keep it healthy? Definitely. So the, the area in which you're going to plant the flax has to have a, a big area. Once the flowers start to bloom, the seeds will start falling down and then the plant will expand from there. I've seen plants or a small harakeke plant push over a fence. 
within a year. So we need to just be mindful how about a meter off the off the fence line. It's good, good area to grow. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. And question number two, please. You have to come up. Sorry. Hey, Artie. Yeah, come right up here. Sorry, I can't remember your Hi, my name's Altier, and my question is how many different muscles are there in New Zealand and what types of muscles are there growing on muscle farms? Uh, good, good question. Thanks, Altier. And we've probably got both our experts that can add to this one. Who would like to start? Brad? I'll start. Yep. Um, so there's actually uh, 22 different species of muscles in New Zealand. And they range in size from tiny little black muscles up to about horse muscles, which are, are really big. But despite all those, those huge number of species, we only actually grow one species on farms in New Zealand, and that's the green lips muscle, which is a muscle that you commonly see in the supermarket when you go shopping. And Tiao, have you got anything you want to add to that? I'll leave that with Brad. <laughs> we do have horse muscles. We used to have them um, in an area called the Whangatiao Harbour. Um, and they used to be quite quite big, like Brad was saying. And then we have a small, the small muscles that are sort of over in Pakiti, and they're only in little clusters. But um, apart from that, those are the only two muscles that we have in this area. Right. So, do you know much about um, any that are eaten other than uh, green-lipped ones? Mm -mm. Oh, not, I was not just wondering whether those big horse people, muscles, whether people eat them, because there must be quite a bit of eating in them. I don't know how tasty they are, though. Uh, some people will occasionally eat different parts of the animal, but they don't eat the whole Correct. animal in the same way they do um, the green lip muscle. And some people will eat uh, some small ribbed muscles, which are purple in colour. But um, for the most part, as far as I'm aware, the green lip muscles are really the, the key species that are eaten in mm -hmm. New Zealand. We do eat the horse muscles up further up north. And we just only eat the, the outer area, yeah. which is like the lip. You don't actually eat the centre and stuff. It's quite can be quite bitter. Yeah. Right. Kia ora, thank you. Um, and question number three, please. Kia I'm Bo. My question is, why were there so many muscle farms destroyed in the 1970s? Ah, good question. So... Um, we talked in one of our videos with Brad about the mussel beds. So they're the natural mussels growing in our moana um, rather than mussel farms, which um, were really affected in the 1970s. So what, what happened to our, our mussel beds then, Brad? Uh, yeah, so fishermen discovered the beds and realised that there were huge numbers of really big mussels on the seafloor. And they started fishing them because they realised that people really wanted to eat them. And then once a couple of fishermen started, started catching them, heaps of other fishermen all went to the same place to catch them. And unfortunately, what that meant is that heaps of fishermen started catching all the mussels and there were no adult mussels left to produce babies to replenish the natural beds. And as a result, they, they wiped the beds out completely. And um, since there are no adult mussels left, there's been no natural recovery of those, those mussel beds. Mm, and that, I guess, reflects why it's so important um, to have rules around how many mussels, shellfish, all our fish that we can take so that we don't um, end up with only a few fish left, which would be really 
depressing and disappointing. Um, so we're talking about the natural beds rather than the mussel farms. So that destruction, did that lead to mussel farming really taking off, Brad? Yeah, it really provided the impetus um, to, to establish mussel farming because they saw there was a, a gap in the market to provide product to, to people throughout New Zealand. So, yeah. So just for our listeners, um, can you give us a bit brief description of, of how mussels are farmed? Because it's it's quite different to natural mussel beds, yeah. just mussels growing on, on rocks and things like that. Yeah, so normally natural mussel beds, all the mussels grow on the seafloor. But on mussel farms, they have these big, long, thick, hairy ropes that hang into the water column, which the mussels are growing on. And they take the little baby mussels, they wrap those around the ropes, and they leave them to grow until they reach bigger sizes. And then they're pulled off the lines and sold to people throughout New Zealand. Yeah, and that led us to this project, Kohonga Kutai, looking at different types of ropes that can be made out of natural fibres, which leads us very nicely into question number four, please. My name is Charlotte, and how long does it take to make a natural fibre rope? Good question. Thanks, Charlotte. Tiao. Kia ora, Charlotte. Um, so it depends on how long it's going to be. So if it's maybe the length of your classroom, it'll take me about an hour to plait and to, to, to put it together. But to actually strip it and to get it to a, a point where I can plait it, it's going to take me about half a day. It's a lot of harvesting, a lot of cutting, a lot of preparation goes into it, and then it'll take me about an hour to just plait it. It's pretty efficient, though, when you think of the length that we're talking about. So um, when we visited you, we saw some of the different fibres that you've been working with. Did you have a favourite that you enjoy working with most or that's easiest to work with? Um, definitely. I actually enjoyed, obviously, the harakeke or the flax tree, the flax bush, um, and the, um, the, the cabbage tree is another one, the cabbage leaves. It's really fine fibres, and they're really, um, it's almost like your hair when you, when you strip it back. It has a beautiful texture to it. I found those were my favourite too, to, to plait and weave um, and to work with. The hardest would have to be the pampas, it's the, the cutting or, or the, it's a real cutty sort of a grass that grips it, grips you. But I thought it would be good for the project to help actually, and it would allow the, the spat to, to grab onto the fibres. So hence why we, we tried that. Yeah, and if you want to find out a little bit more about Pampas, you can check out the videos if you haven't already done so. Kia ora te ao. And question number five now, please. Kiora, I'm Desna, and my question is, how many mussel farms are there in New Zealand, and what is the average number of mussels pulled up off of one rope? Uh, interesting question, and I know Brad's involved in the mussel industry, so take it away, Brad. Yeah, it's a good question. So there's about 5,000 hectares of mussel farms in New Zealand, because we like to measure um, farming area rather than the number of actual farms. Um, but we have about 15,000 hectares that are uh, consented, so they're allowed to have mussel farms on them, but we only use one third of those, so about 5,000. Um, so th there's a lot of space for the industry to grow into the future. But we usually harvest about 20 tonnes of mussels from every hectare, uh, um, which translates into about 400,000 mussels per hectare, or about 1.5 billion mussels from the whole country every year. So a lot of mussels come off those farms. 
Yeah, you're talking about some mind-boggling uh, numbers there. So a hectare is how much? Uh, good question. <laughs> Off the top of my head. <laughs> it's a big space. Um, now, a thousand square metres, am I right? It's 100 metres yes. long and 100 metres wide. Right. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how, how much we're talking about. Large areas. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so we are now up to our final question. Question number six, please. Hello, my name is Shao, and my question is, what places in New Zealand are muscle hotspots? Ah, good question. I'm interested to hear the answer to this. Brad, any ideas? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, the hotspots were really in the Coromandel and down in the Marlborough Sounds before the fishermen fished them all out. Um, and now most of the farming takes place in those areas as well. But another good hotspot for mussels is up in the far north um, off the coast where all the, the, the adult mussels are that produce the baby mussels that wash up on the beach. But they are found throughout the whole country. But the, right. the big spots are the Coromandel and Marlborough Sounds. Cool. And I know um, earlier on there was a question about how many mussels you're allowed to take. What are the limits on that? Uh, throughout the country, it ranges from 50 mussels per person per day down to 20 mussels per person per day in Auckland. Um, but there's not a lot of um, recreational fishing for mussels in New Zealand because they're so cheap in the supermarket now. Right. Yeah. So important to know what your limits are, though, if you are. Uh, gathering Kaimawana. So that's our questions from our speaking school, Ellington School. Well done for asking those so well and, and thinking hard about those questions. Um, we've got uh, a bit of extra time. So if you, Ellington School, and our listening schools want to ask some extra questions, you can pop those in the chat window and we'll, we'll do our best to answer those. So if you go down to the bottom of your screen and hover over the icons you'll see a chat bubble if you click on that it'll give you the option of being able to type something in i've put one in to get us started so we've got one here where did the idea come from to try natural fibers for muscle ropes Tiao. <laughs> i think it's something we've been using for a while but never on a farm never in such a big um uh, i guess for such a, a big project. Um, this sort of came to, to me uh, recently, but I do know a lot of other tribes have been using muscle ropes or, or different types of fibers uh, to capture muscles. And um, yeah, I'm not too sure where, where the idea came from. I think the project was something, and I wish Nicole and, um, <laughs> and Jeff were here because they would be able to tell you that answer. Um, I think it's a project they've been looking at for a few years now. And they've sort of just jumped on board and, and really made this come, come to um, the forefront and, and get us involved in how we can do that. It's trying to prevent uh, plastics in the sea. And so the idea, I guess, it just came from turning back time. How do we actually get the natural fibres to help our environment, the biodiversity of the sea? And that's why this project sort of kicked off. Mm, and it's... It was really interesting when we joined you um, up in Northland to, to look more at the work that you had to do to try and make this um, 
you know, happen. There was a lot of steps in the process in terms of choosing which plants, then how they might be woven, how they might be harvested, how long it might take, um, whether the the muscle spat, the baby muscles actually wanted to attach to them. It was quite, quite the process. So how long have you guys been working on this project? I've been working with Brad for a few years now, Brad. Yes. Yeah, I think it's two years. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to say with the lockdowns. I can't, remember, can't keep track of time. <laughs> I think for me, the best part was actually seeing how a spat actually moves. So Brad had a video of that that gave me a better understanding of how the rope should look and how it needs to move in the sea as well because having that up on up on the um, on shore and, and actually plaiting it is one thing, but when you put it into the sea, the sea is alive. It's constantly moving. So it's what, what's going to be the best outcome. And so we used a whole lot of different fibres from uh, Nico, cabbage tree, to harakeke, and just trying to find the right fibre that will work and, and actually um, take to the sea because the sea water will break it down a lot quicker. So that's why we had to do the test with Brad. Kia ora. And it, there must have been some big challenges that you overcame any, any big challenges that you can share with us or, or stories behind the work that you've been doing? Definitely. So you have a great idea of how many plants you want to try and harvest. So you have this list of 20 plants, for instance. But because it was flooding, it was in winter, you could only harvest certain plants. So you have to do seasonal harvesting. Um, so that's really working with the tides because if it's on the beach, it's working with the going to the mountains and making sure that you're able to, to actually harvest and get to that site. Um, but apart from that, there's some funny moments, like um, when you're picking raupo, um, you know, you should have gumboots on because sometimes you're, it doesn't look deep, but when you go to step in and I've lost a shoe during that time, um, a grand, my nanny came through to help and she, she ended up sinking knee deep into the water. So we've had some good laughs and some good times. And it was really a good opportunity to get a lot of my kaumatu and queer involved in a project that is so positive and really something that is new to them, actually providing um, cultural information and matauranga Māori to help a project like this, getting them involved and knowing that we had to harvest at certain times. Um, some could only be harvested in the morning, some only at night. So it's just knowing the right times to harvest those um, fibres. Kia ora, thank you. And Brad, any any stories that you want to share with us from your work? Uh, we had a lot of challenges in terms of getting uh, so fibres out onto mussel farms to see if they catch mussel spat just because um, the season for catching mussels that tends to be in the middle of winter, which is right when we were in lockdown in Auckland. Um, so that made things quite difficult, but we've just pulled in some samples over the past few weeks and they have kept, caught mussels spat. So that's good. We're just finalising those results at the moment. So it worked out in the end. Excellent. Good, good to hear. Yeah. And we've got a question here. Um, what will need to happen for natural fibres to replace plastic ropes in mussel farms? Does it need to be quick and cheap or is it more about reducing the plastic or creating new jobs? Quite a bit to consider in that question. I'll let you go first, Brad. Okay. Um, uh, they need to work. So they need to catch muscles, but they need to be able to grow muscles on them. That's the key thing. Um, they also need to be cheap enough to replace the plastic ropes and they need to... Um, basically perform as well and if they can create new jobs that's also a big one yeah 
And I, I was thinking um, when I first started this project, it's like, well, you know, mussels might grow on seaweed. Why don't you just use seaweed? But it's it's quite a process to actually get the spat and then get them to attach to something. So tell us a bit more about that process, Brad, because there's machines and everything used, isn't there? Yeah, so a lot of the spat that the industry uses comes from uh, the far north where it washes up on Nunny Mile Beach attached to seaweed. And then they'll wrap that seaweed around plastic ropes, put a, a cotton stocking over the top. And that means over time, the mussels can crawl off the seaweed and onto the rope. And then the seaweed and the, the cotton break down and disappear. Um, in the case of, of line caught spat, which is spat that are caught on ropes that we hang on the water column, they just settle directly onto the rope, um, which makes it a lot easier than trying to encourage them to move from the seaweed onto the rope, which is very difficult. Yeah, and I remember you saying that it... it you can start off with a whole lot of spat, but you only get a certain proportion that actually attach to the ropes. Yeah, so we lose about 99.8% of the spat that we start with in New Zealand. So we harvest about 350 billion muscle spat every year, but we only produce 1.5 billion adult muscles. Um, so it's incredibly inefficient <laughs> and there's a lot of space to um, improve the process. Of course, and I, and I guess that means, you know, more efficiency, more kai, more money, it's yep. all better for everybody. Yep. And, and creating jobs, is that part of the aim of, of this with using the natural fibres? Definitely. Great opportunity for iwi. Yeah. Yeah, a chance for everybody to, to work together on something rather than just um, creating something by machine. Well, some excellent questions. Thank you guys for for your thoughts and efforts into those this morning. And thank you very much to our experts, Brad and Tiao. And have we got anyone that has anything they want to say before we all say goodbye? Nope, I can see some heads shaking. <laughs> well, kia ora koutou, thank you very much. And remember you can join us again tomorrow for the next web conference we've got another school joining us with a whole other batch of questions so you might learn something joining us on that one again but thank you very much Tiao and Brad and to our schools I hope you have a great day and I hope you can join us tomorrow and in the meantime we'll unmute and you can all say goodbye bye have a great day and that brings our Learns Web Conference to an end.